0: Make big time where you are. Don't think your program is not being a big time program. Make it in a big time. This little small town that, that we're in, baseball is a big deal. It's a big deal around here. and it's, it's We've just had players that have embraced it, some good players that have come along and kind of embraced the system. We've turned into a big time deal here.
1: Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gelner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to baseballcloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Today's episode features Lance Spigner, head coach at Horatio High School in Horatio, Arkansas. Coach Spigner has been the head coach at Horatio for the past 28 years and led the Lions to 17 conference championships, 10 regional championships, and five state championships. Spigner has also been awarded the American Baseball Coaches Association and Diamond Sports Region Coach of the Year three times. This will actually be his last season at Horatio, recently announcing that he was taking the head coaching job at the University of Arkansas Mountain. I've also had the pleasure of hearing Lance speak a few times, and he absolutely gets the most out of his small town kids. On the show, Coach Spigner walks us through what his 28 years of coaching experience has shown him, and he shares with us some different ways that he goes about training his players for success, what types of different competitive efforts and events keep his players embracing a winning attitude, and how they have fun on the field. Here is Lance Spigner. Coach Spigner, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate you having me.
1: So I was thinking back, and actually a couple of years ago, I think my first or second year of coaching, I got the opportunity to listen to you speak at the Oklahoma Coaches Convention, and I remember it, and I thought you did an absolutely outstanding job uh, especially at the small school that you're at and you do a great job of maximizing the talent when which you have. But you know, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about your coaching background and why you decided to get into it.
0: Okay. Um I there's it really doesn't take me very long. I've been at the same school uh here at Horatio High School, Horatio, Arkansas. I've been in the same school for it's my twenty eighth year. It's it's uh, the only place I've ever coached professionally. I was uh I told some guys not long ago that when I, when I got through with my playing days, that, uh, I was not good enough to get any attention from Major League Baseball, but I did get some attention from Slow softball Softball. <laughs> so uh, one of the guys that I was playing with was a shortstop on our team, and I was in went to a year of graduate school after I finished at UCA, played, played baseball at UCA, and he said they had a coaching job open at Horatio, which is about 30 minutes from where I grew up in Ashdown, Arkansas. So uh, I started there in 91, 92, and I've been there ever since. You know, I, a lot of people may think that I was, you know, I come from a coaching family. My dad coached for over 25 years, uh, football and baseball coach. So a lot of people thought maybe I might be destined for that. But it really, you know, I didn't, my student teaching, I didn't enjoy that a whole lot. The coaching part was great, teaching not so much. So that, the first job I actually interviewed for was uh, to be a game warden. Okay. Uh on Arkansas Game warden. And I made the first cut and got down to about twenty guys for six jobs. And I did not get that. That was in January. And then uh I guess in August of the next year I started a ratio. And it, I guess it's you know, they say about unanswered prayers. I guess it's a good thing it worked out pretty well. I didn't get the game one job. So like I said, I've been here ever since. And
1: so this will be your last season there? Yeah, I let my team know
0: a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you are talking to some guys for back and forth for over a year that I'm going to retire at the end of this year, draw my Arkansas teacher retirement. And then I'm going to help them start a baseball program at the university of Arkansas at Rich mountain, which is, uh, going to be a division two JUCO about an hour, hour and 10 minutes north of us. Uh, they're going to fill their first baseball team in, in the 2020 to 2021 school year. And I have decided I'm going to take that job and start with them
1: uh, this coming year. Awesome. And again, congratulations. There's no doubt that you will do a great job there. And so let's go ahead and dig into some player development. Talk to us about what your fall looks like. You know, one
0: of the, I think one of the presentations I did when I went to Oklahoma was winning with underdogs. Uh, it was kind of the, right. you know, what we try to do, player development and getting the most out of everybody, most mm-hmm. out of everybody's athletic abilities. But in the fall, I, you know, small school, we have a uh, class size 65, 70 kids, so we have to share athletes. For the longest time, I was an assistant coach in football, too. last few years, I've kind of gotten out of that. But I, I'm lucky if I have, you know, a third of my roster with me in the fall. Now, there are some years, like a couple years ago, I had all three starting pitchers in that group. They were baseball players only. But like I said, I, I, I'm lucky if I have about a third of those. So what we'll try to do in the fall is, is we're going to lift – Three days a week, okay. and we're going to come out to the baseball field to our indoor, and and we're going to do either our throwing program if it's that time of the year. We I like the Jager year-round throwing program, mm-hmm. or we're going to do some probably some bat speed work. So um, we're still, you know, everything is developments pretty much in the fall for us. Our, our weights, we're going to try to do an upper body push, an upper body pull, some type of hinge exercise, like maybe a Romanian deadlift and then a squat and then some type of anti-rotation or core exercise okay and then when we kind of, like i said we come out to the field if it's if it's time to start it's not a dead period or a rest period for us is we're going to do the throwing program and build up that's going to go usually about six weeks for us in the fall and then we're going to go about three add about three more weeks of that when we start doing pull downs kind of letting it rip a little bit mm-hmm. and then sometime around thanksgiving we'll we'll break off and uh, have a rest through the thanksgiving holidays and then we come back after that is when we start throwing you know we get into our bullpens and we usually throw six or seven weeks of build up bullpens before we take about a week the season starts
1: perfect you so had-
0: that's one thing we do too is uh, at the end of the fall sometime i say end of the fall but sometime in october i guess kind of a our version of everybody's on haul Olympics, we have the Dirt Bag Olympics, and it's a week of competition where we'll split up into two teams. Uh, our players seem to really enjoy that, and we're going to have, you know, about three days of competition. Uh, usually I split up into two teams, so it's one team against another, or if I have enough to split into three teams. But they're going to compete daily competitions, usually three competitions a day, uh, things like a sled push, prowler sled push, or a pull obstacle course at the end, that kind of thing. And then we'll, uh, we'll award a Dirt Bag Olympic champion. At the end of it, and, and that group, you know, gets a gets a pizza or something like that. So cool. that's kind of how we wrap up the fall.
1: Oh, I love it! And you had me curious at the bat speak training. So, what are you guys doing for that?
0: Well, I'll tell you the we've got a set of the the drive line the axe bats uh, with the drive line program, but we also make you know I make a set. I've got about three sets uh, that I've actually made. I like okay. like a mad scientist, I guess. In the I borrow the chemistry teacher's scale. Mm-hmm. And we'll actually, or different ways, we do that. We do it, you know. We try to go about twenty percent heavier uh, on those bats, and we'll load them on the end, and we'll load them on the handle with uh, coins, mm-hmm. usually wrapped up in athletic tape or gorilla tape, duct tape. And we'll, I'm in there, you know, bar, bar scales and translating from grams to ounces, <laughs> trying to get it all set up. And we'll actually have, you know, we have the axe bat set, but we'll have three more that that we've made, and yeah. we've done those. We make them with washers and self-tapping screws in the end. We'll weight them like that. We'll weight them with coins. That way, we'll have uh, we can actually split up into groups instead of everybody having to wait on one set of, w- of weighted bats. We, you know, we can kind of alternate those out and get about three or four stations of weighted bat work done. We also, uh, you know, I really enjoyed Dan Heefner, Dallas Baptist, uh, his ABCA presentations, mm-hmm. and we'll do a lot of the of the stuff that he does that he's he's talked about in his ABCA presentations. And we discovered this past year that Pocket Radar uh, has a smart coach. It has Bluetooth now, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a cheap man's radar gun and display where you could actually set up your the app on the iPad and players can see their exit velo anytime you want. You can put up the Pocket Radar back behind them on the little tripod and then get the Pocket Radar, or the, I'm sorry, the iPad, and they can actually see their own exit velo. So we'll do a lot of competitions. You know where one of our favorite things to do is when we're inside is to have like a, a World Series bat an exit velo World Series. Where if you and I were paired together, is we're going to take three swings. It may be off the tee, it may be front toss, maybe side toss, anything. But you're going to get three swings, and we're going to take your highest exit velo. Then I'm going to get three swings, and if yours is higher than mine, you win game one of the World Series. So the best, you know, person, the first one to win four out of seven. Wins at and the other has maybe like ten push-ups.
1: I gotcha.
0: Which you know those kind of, and I really we really enjoy the the smart coach,
1: and the app on the iPad. Perfect. Well, while we're on the subject of competitions, what are some different ones that you guys do? Yeah, I mean, how much time do you have? I mean,
0: we <laughs> we try, that's one thing is we everything we we do we if we can we try to turn it into some competitions because uh, you know competition is fun and that's what you want all your players you want them to. enjoy what they're doing out here but also you want to make competitors out of them Mm -hmm. so we i mean literally everything we do we're we're going to try if we can i'm going to try to turn into some type of competition as opposed to just straight drill work you know there's enough of that already as an example i mean when we start when we break off with the infielders with the very first thing we do in our catch play routines we're going to do ball handling and what that means is every every player has their glove on they have a ball in their hand and they're going to go through basically basketball type ball handling drills. They're going to go to 10, and the first one to get to 10 raises it up, wins that competition. So we'll go around the waist. If you can imagine a guy throwing a basketball around his waist, repeatedly we're doing that with a baseball, making exchanges with the baseball in our glove. And we just go to 10 around the waist, and we'll go around the knees. Then we'll do a figure eight between our legs, and then we do what we call a scissors which is a figure eight. We're actually seizing your leg and throwing it between your legs. So each of those is a little, I mean, that's how we start the day of the infield. It's a little competition. We're trying to go to 10. First one to 10 raises the ball up in their glove and you know we say their name and everybody else groans and they cheer. So we kind of start like that. And then, not every day, but a majority of the time, one of the things we'll do to start practice once we all come together is what we call push out, drag out. And that's a competition between our corner infielders pitchers and catchers against our what we call our deer the guys who have some speed and, and they're a threat to drag and push bunt. so push out drag out is literally we're going to set up the pitch machine or coach is going to throw and those guys are going to push your drag bunt and then try to reach base safely against those other guys and then we can get a lot of good work you know offensively with our with our bunt for a hit system and defensively trying to defense it just in about five minutes so that's a little competition Mm-hmm. And I actually got that, um uh, I got that off of a championship production VP, I think Chris Hanks. Okay. Uh, the coach at Colorado Mason University did that. We kinda of stole that idea from him. Another thing we do competition wise that I really like is we call it Green Light Game. Okay. And once again it's we're working on our base running uh with the people that we call deer. We have deer and we have ox. <laughs> and the deer are You know, they're on first base, and they've got the green light to run. And the game basically works like this. You've got your catchers are in full gear at the plate. You've got pitchers on the mound and aren't deer and running. Middle infielders covering and a first baseman covering first base. The offense will score if they steal second base. So they get one point if they steal second base. If the throw gets by the middle infielder and reaches the center field or the outfield grass, gets in the center field, they get an, an additional bonus point for that. So the offense gets a point for stealing the base, they can get another point if the ball goes into the outfield. And then the defense gets three points if they pick the runner off first base. And if it's a call stealing, they get two points. And that's another one of those deals that in five or ten minutes, now instead of just, you know, measuring pop time with your catchers or talking about getting a good jump on, you know, did you get a good jump? You got a green light, did you get a good jump? You now you're actually working on it. And it's a competition that, you know, gets you a lot of reps, live reps in five or ten minutes. So that's another A little competition we do a lot of times before we ever even start practice that we really like. A couple other things that spring to mind. One of them is called the two strike challenge.
1: Okay.
0: You know, they say if, um, I mean, if you're going to come, from what I've read, you're going to have two strikes over 40% of the time. You're at bats, you're going to have at least two strikes. So why not, you know, try to get your kids confident with two strikes? And we'll do a deal that we call the two strike challenge. And the way that works is, I'm going to pair hitters up into a group, and those hitters are going to compete against each other in their group. So they're, they're going to step into the plate and they're going to have an 0 2 count. Uh, any batted ball that they hit is played live by the defense, and each group is going to get to hit the same number of times. So if, say, we're going to hit for six minutes, we're not going to cut it off uh, before everybody gets an equal amount of chance because, once again, we're trying to score, compete, and we're trying to win. Uh, so the scoring in, in this game, and this is usually coach thrown, but if you strike out swinging, it, you get it's minus one point off your score. If you strike out looking, it's two points off your score, so it's a minus two. If you put a ball in play but you're retired by the defense, it's just a, it's an even, it's a zero. And then if you any time you reach base safely, you get three points. So we'll do the two strike challenge, uh, put them in groups of of pretty similar abilities and then you know, award a, a winner in each one of those groups when we get through an equal number of rounds. Oh, I love that. And, yeah. And then the last thing, I guess, um, they seem to really enjoy this, is after, whenever we get through with BP, not every day, but enough to keep it fresh and kind of special, is we'll we'll try to clear the field and beat our, our timed record from clearing the field after BP. Screens off, balls off, pitching mound off, everything off. And what I'll do is, it sounds kind of goofy, but I'll go over into the press box and and turn on the PA system with the iPod and play the William Tell Overture. So they'll actually, when the music starts, they'll start clearing the field and breaking the K's down the turtle around home plate and pushing it off. And then when they get back, stopwatch starts when the music starts. When they get back in the first base dugout, everybody's back in the dugout sitting down, it stops. And then we try to, you know, we'll try to get that time down to 47 seconds, 45 seconds. Wow. Uh, we're getting you know, faster every time we do it and they, you know, they'll, they'll work out a system and they'll, they'll plan out ahead of time and how they're going to do it. It's, but that's a, you know, a little competition with ourselves. It, it's just a kind of a good way to ends up wrapping up the day for us at the end of BP a lot of times.
1: Man, I love that idea. And you know, things that are competitive and get them to communicate. I'm all in on. Another thing that I picked up from you is the stickers for hit by pitches. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, yeah, we do. I, I mentioned earlier we kind of, you know, with apologies to Long Beach State, I guess we we even embrace the the identity of being dirt bags. Kind of fits, uh, just the uh, country kids, rural area kids, and it just a tough mindset. It kind of embraces the type of kid we have, uh, and I think it's one thing that helps us, you know, compete against teams who sometimes may be more, more athletic. And we're we're going to be dirt bags. And one of the things that is involved with that for us is you know we're going to say that we're i mean we're we try to think we're, we're tougher than you are we're, our team's going to be tougher than yours you're not going to move our feet uh we're in the batter's box that's not always true but that year in year out is kind of our identity and and it's passed on from one group of players to another so if you're going to be man enough to stand in there and wear a pitch then you know, we're going to reward you for it and what we do is we have we call it man of steel points or man of steel stickers and we've got a, a sticker just the helmet decal. You know, about the size of a quarter, a helmet decal like they have in football, and it's got the Superman S on the sticker. And you sometimes, Johnson, I think it's almost like you're handing them a little piece of gold when they get those things. They get so excited, like little kids again. So after the game, we we'll, as we're totaling up our numbers and and kind of having our game reviewers, we'll we'll pass out our awards. And one of the things we pay stickers. So and they'll take those usually and put them. They like to put them on the underside of the bill of their cap. Uh, We'll have guys that, you know, I mean, we've had guys that have gotten hit 18 to 22 times in a season Mm -hmm. uh, here before and they run out of room on their hat. and You'll see them on the locker facing sometimes, but it's something they've kind of embraced. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a free 90. we are going to give us a free 90. We're going to try to take it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's absolutely true. And again, you're trying to get the best out of the players that you've got. And I I love that. And so talk to us. Uh, Another thing that you have to do in a small town is you have to fundraise, fundraise, probably right. a decent amount of money. So what are some different ways that you've figured out so, some good fundraisers? And I, I know that we as high school coaches are always looking for good ones to do. And so can you walk us through a, a couple of ones that you found uh, effective?
0: Sure. Uh, and we, I mean, we raise a lot of money. We have, you know, we have an 80 by 90 indoor here. Uh, that was for the most part paid with outside donations. We've had it since about 98. Uh, our community has been spectacular and our administration too, as far as supporting our program. But, uh, the people around here just love to give, love to give to the baseball program. And when I say we're a small, you know, I'm not exaggerating. We're a small school, a small town. When the, it was a big deal for us when the 2010 census came out, cause we actually got four numerals on our population sign for the very first time. So, I mean, <laughs> wow. but we raised a lot of money. So people that guys that have a larger population base or fan base, I mean, I, I know they can. And, I guess some of the, the best things we do is we have a Friends of ratio Baseball signs, and a lot of people do the banners in the outfield. This is, to me, it's a little bit better because the these are aluminum signs, and they're about 30, say 24 by 36 inches, and we, we put them here on the wall of our indoor right by the concession stand that faces the field, so they're really visible. Well, they're like I said, they're aluminum signs, so they stay out year round. I don't have to worry about them flapping in the wind or somebody cutting them with a knife on the outfield fence. And they, you know, I sell them one time, and then literally after that, all I have to do is is send a letter out mm-hmm. and get the check. It's like Christmas, and we got we have twenty five of those. Okay, uh, they're just raising money for us year after year. And people, you know, I tell people all the time, it's it's just a matter of getting out there and asking people. That very few people ever tell me no i could fill up i think i maybe could fill, sell 50 of those had room to, to put them up and that's an easy one once you get the sun we charge double the first year to pay for the sign and make the profit and then after that it's it's half the cost of what they paid initially every year to keep it up okay and like i said it's just a matter of sending the the letters out sometime in the fall and then watching as the checks roll in uh so that's really good yeah the um Online fundraisers, we found out, I don't know about, at, at our place, in our state, auditors have, have gone kind of crazy on taking, you know, when you take money in and how you document it and how you receive it. And we found the easiest thing to do with, a lot of times with our fundraising, is to go with some of the online fundraisers. Okay. Uh, the guys that will, you know, they take five or 10% of your profit, but to me, it's worth it, worth it not to handle all that money or have to deal with the auditors. And they actually will... We have one that we use where you come in and sit down in a computer lab and the players will enter 15 email addresses, the minimum each. And then this company sends out the emails and, and a weekly reminder if somebody does not donate and then sends out the thank you email when they do donate. And it's it's kind of personalized where if the players, it's sending it to grandpa. It says grandpa on it. Players already entered that. And you get one check. You only have to receive the one check you get from the company who's handling all this for you mm-hmm. when it comes in. The, the I think to me the online phone fundraisers are really good if you can find somebody that uh, will do it and we have for you know a small percentage of, of your profit. Okay. One thing we do, we haven't done this, but we need to do it again soon. It's really fun. We as we call we call it dine on the diamond, and dine on the diamond is is exactly what it is. One night, uh, it's basically like a political fundraising dinner. See okay. If you're doing it for your baseball team, is we'll set up cafeteria tables. On the infield diamond under the lights on a warm night, and then have somebody donate and cook a meal for us. And the players serve as waiters, and we'll take donations or sell plates, you know, like just like a political fundraising dinner would work. We'll sell plates or take donations or both at the fundraiser. Well, the players, you know, they'll dress up in white shirts and drape the towel over their arm, and (laughs) they will actually wait on each table, uh, which is we've had a lot of, every time we do that, we have a lot of compliments on that. And then we have uh, we have a group here, a uh, booster organization that runs a golf tournament for us, which is a lot of fun. And it's probably, it makes as much money as anything with hole signs, you know, sell sponsors on every hole uh, for a couple hundred dollars and then the entry fees with the golfers getting the tournament. So those are all pretty easy, you know, and they make big money. That's, that's what I tell people all the time. I like fundraisers that, first of all, aren't going to kill me trying to get it done, but mm-hmm. instead of doing all that work at a car wash or, you know, at a chicken spaghetti dinner or something like that. I I want stuff that's going to make really big money. And and these for the most part generate thousands of dollars for us each.
1: Well, that's fantastic. And you've talked a lot about uh, a lot of different aspects of your program. And and I'm always curious, you know, you, you mentioned that one of the standards that you have in your program is dirt bags. And so what are some different rules and standards that you guys try and implement or enforce, you know, just on a daily basis?
0: Well, you know, one thing my dad said, it's kind of old school. When I started, the, the more written rules you have, the more rope sometimes you leave people to hang yourself. So we don't necessarily have a, a large amount of, we don't have a rule sheet or written rules for the most part. Now, there are some, but the, the main thing as far as standards and rules is, is, is we, we try not to do anything that's going to embarrass the baseball program to embarrass yourself or embarrass your family. And then anything that does, we've got a problem with We're going to have to do something about it, probably. And then just have enough respect to, to be early. You know, we say on time is too late to be early and just have enough respect for teammates to be on time and show up when you're supposed to show up. One thing we have done, too, that's another thing. When I when I describe it, it, it even sounds kind of goofy to me, but it works, man. I mean, it, it works. It just it works. We have a deal we call the Cube, Rolling the Cube, And it's all that little stuff, you know, maybe somebody's is late getting out to practice, even Mm -hmm. if it's a minute late, or somebody had lunch detention. All that the the little stuff that you just need to kind of keep knocked down so it doesn't turn into big stuff. Because we have a little, it's basically a die, singular dice. Uh, It's a four-by-four post that we've cut into a cube. And then it's got, you know, different punishments on four of those sides. It's going to have different punishments. Like it's going to say maybe... 305 foot lunge or 25 burpees or something like that. And then one side has a frowny face, which is coach's choice. And the other sides have a smiley face, which is free pass. Oh, nice. So, you know, all that little stuff is instead of me, you know, it's not really me picking on you is you've messed up. You're late for practice. You know, you have to roll the cube before we start and they'll roll that, that cube. And it, it may be one of the punishments or not. And then also, if you know, if we, on some of the bigger stuff, we have another number up maybe in the top right corner of that dice where now you've gotten maybe in-school suspension or something for three days, and now you got three big cube rolls. So the cube roll, you know, I mean, it, it really works. They hate it. It doesn't take very long. A coach doesn't have to stand out there and watch them do a 20-minute run. Uh, but it has the same effect because they just they hate to roll the cube, and it's it'll keep a lot of that, like I said, keep a lot of the small stuff knocked down for you.
1: Perfect. I, I really like that. And it's something that I'm sure it keeps it fresh too. And, and anything that you can do that is, does. that is a consequence yeah. that doesn't take forever. I I really like. And so, it uh, kinda,
0: it kind of takes, uh, the onus off of you a little bit of being the bad guy. Sure. Um, because you know, I didn't just choose this. That's, that's what you, what you wrote. I, I think, I think it, I think it does two things. It, it kind of helps, like I said, it helps keep the small stuff knocked down and and nobody wants to do that and it you know you're not as much of a bad guy with your players for having to bring the hammer down on them
1: let me take a few seconds to tell you guys about on base u on base university is an organization that studies how the human body moves in baseball and softball they offer certification seminars that teach coaches trainers and medical professionals how to assess an athlete's physical ability to perform movement patterns that are specific to hitting and pitching. For example, they just put up a blog on their website, onbaseu.com, that discussed why hip internal rotation is important in hitting and how they evaluate it with their On Base U screen. If you want to learn more about On Base U, I did a podcast with On Base U founder, Dr. Greg Rose, episode 78, who talked about this and modeled the screen after golf assessments that he created for TPI. They are hosting pitching and hitting seminars in Newark, Houston, and Chicago over the next few months. And I will be attending the one in Houston, and I hope to see you there. Sure, sure. And so, while, you know, while we're recording this podcast, it's right in the middle of our seasons. And so, take us through what you guys are doing as far as practice plans go, because I I love to hear the different perspectives and you know what what especially you're doing at a smaller school and how many players do you have in your program and do you guys all practice together?
0: We do. We to, this year we have twenty. That is that is not very many for us. We've had at our place we'll have up to thirty two. Okay. Uh, some years we have up to 32 or so so usually it's going to be in the mid-20s 24 25 guys so we all practice together mm-hmm. uh when we play we'll, we will we have 25 uniforms so we'll almost always dress everybody out and just have us when we have a b game or a, a jv game it's going to be some of the same guys that have dressed out for us in the varsity okay the way we basically have two different types of practice you're talking about w- what do we do In the preseason, and like I said, we're in the middle of the season now, so it's changed a little bit. But in the preseason, we are going to, you know, and I spoke about this in the in the Barnstormers video a little bit. We uh, had a conversation with a friend of mine, a guy that I played college ball with, uh, who's a really really good coach in Arkansas, Kurt Bach, and we were talking about when when do you throw bullpens? Mm -hmm. And long story short, he basically said, "So you're telling me that you think you know what percentage of." importance do you place on pitch and i'm like man it's just a whole lot i know some people say 90 or whatever i, I just know it's really important he said why are you throwing it at the end of practice and if it's that important so he he started explaining to me and and we kind of adopted that is we throw all of our bullpens at the start of practice okay and we've done that now for i guess three or four years and it's worked out really well for us so our practice will start with everybody will come together 25 or 30 minutes the pitchers will start doing their j van work while the other guys are doing the last bit of field prep, bases in, tarps off, pitch machines out if I need them, that kind of thing. And then we'll all come together for a team dynamic warm-up. And then we have, we'll have we alternate. We have a linear day where we're working more linear stuff, and we'll alternate that with a lateral day with some lateral bounding and it's more lateral work. And then we'll break off into our catch-play routine. So, once again, we're small school. We don't have POs, no pitchers only for the most part. So I'm going to have the end, all the infielders with me, for instance, are doing their catch play routine. And I'm lucky enough to have two assistant coaches, which for the first 24, 25 years I coached, I only had one assistant. But uh-huh. I have two assistants now. So one guy's with the catchers and another guy's with the outfielders. And then when we finish catch play, that's when our bullpen starts. Okay. So all the we, we split our players into two different groups, pitchers. We split our pitchers in two different groups, group A and group B. And they'll throw two days a week in pins, usually. Uh, so if it's Group A's day, they're going to throw on Monday and Thursday. They would start their bullpens with the catchers there. Group B, the pitchers who are throwing maybe on Tuesday and Friday, are going to do the alternate activity that the pitching coach has chosen for them. They may be spending pitches that day, that day. They may be doing picks, PFPs. They may come with me and my group. The other group, the ones who aren't pitchers or catchers during their pins – there are many different things that we can do. We can do defensive work. Uh, we can do we can go inside and do a hitting rotation. Do some bat speed work. We can do some data collection, you know, with exit velos and launch angles and or attack angles stuff like that. We can be stand-in hitters. Uh, so that that's going to take another thirty minutes or so, and then bullpens are done, and it's time we were you know then going to practice, uh, full team practice. That's usually for us now, uh, and this is all going to take about probably about two and a half hours, usually in the preseason. But we're going to do usually some kind of what I call a bridge activity, and that's going to be something like push out, drag out that we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. live base running versus pitchers and catchers. Uh, That's another thing I I talked about on that barnstormers video, and also you know we're really big on our pickoff system, so we'll do like a try picks and then have our our deer our fast bunt threats up there. Doing a, a deal we call the deer, bo- deer Point game, uh, which is another bunting game that we do. Um, and anybody, I mean, I can send anybody gets a hold of me after this is over with. I can send you all this stuff that I'm just kind of breezing through. But we'll do like a, that's about a 10 minute activity that then takes us to what we call group defense. A lot of guys call it indie defense, or we call it group, mm-hmm. where you know the infielders are going to be with me, and the catchers are with their guy, and the outfielders are with their guy. That will usually transition into most days into team defense uh where we're working on some kind of team defensive aspect and then i like to finish up uh, with bp at the end of practice and that's going to be 50 you know usually 50 minutes to an hour for the most part something like that okay and that's you know kind of how practice runs for us i like to go i heard somebody say a long time ago that hitting is fun and defense is work get the work out of the way first while they're fresh and then let them swing and have fun at the
1: end. Sure. I, I like that a lot. And you uh, you mentioned again in, in your Barnstormers presentation about what your BP setup looks like. And I think you said you had dirtbag guys, bombers, slugging percentage, OPS guys. Can you kind of walk us through what your BP setup looks like and how you group those guys yeah. together? Yeah.
0: First of all, I guess, you know, I made a switch a few years ago. I'm always trying to learn and, and try to stay on the cutting edge. And I start reading the research from the driveline guys and the other that uh, maybe we're not, you know, maximizing our BP. So we have made a concerted effort the last few years to, to at least half the time uh, take a BP that is what they classified as high growth, low performance. We we're, were doing, you know, from the research I read and just what makes learning sticky, we were doing way too much high performance with low pressure just BP fastballs and so like I said we made a we made an effort to kind of get into high growth low performance type stuff like maybe high velo high pitch variability changing the implements they use with the bats that kind of thing and then at, you know the Matt DeGgs uh, with the pack mentality his stuff came out a few years ago and I was watching that mm-hmm. and he started talking about the way they recruit players and the way that they divide ball players up players you know he had runners and just a bunch of different classifications and why those guys don't need to be trained all need to be trained the same way so I got to thinking about that and you know even on the high school level I got to thinking why are we all why are we training all these guys the exact same way sure. so we you know we started kind of trying to instead of having one BP we started trying to tailor our BP to fit our personnel now most of the guys that we get here are at our, at our small school are going to be what we call dirt bags and they're going to be dirt bags and dirt bags for us Or on base percentage quality at bat kind of guys, the guys that you want to to pass the baton to the other guy, uh, till eventually you get somebody up there with enough dirt bags on base, one of your damage guys. And we call those guys slugging percentage RBI guys that can actually, you know, do the damage these guys have kind of set up for them. Not that we won't take damage from on base quality at bat percentage guys. So, we came up with a one of the BPs we use a lot. We call it the production point game, and once again, it's another competition. It's a game, and every time that they execute the skill call for correctly, they get a point. And the goal is to have the highest number of points. But you're not competing if you're an on base quality at bat percentage guys. You're you're more you're one of our dirt bag guys. You're not competing against the slugging percentage guys. You're only trying to win your group. And I you know I won't go through all these, but like. One of the rounds for the, the own base quality at bat percentage guys is going to be, and these rounds have five skills or, or five, they'll make five attempts in each round to do this. So we're going to start off in one of these rounds with the own base quality at bat percentage guys with a bunt for a hit, they push or drag, then again, it's a sack bunt. Then they're going to try to find the barrel. And if we judge it to be a barrel, they get, you know, they get a point for that. They're going to bunt for hit again, and they're going to go barrel uh, to end that round. So every one of those skills that that player performed correctly, he gets a check mark or a point, and we're going to total those at the end. Conversely, on the other side of that, with the with the slugger Center RBI guys, his his round may go like this. Barrel, wall, barrel, wall, score the runner from third base with less than two out. So a wall is literally exactly what it says. They've got to hit a ball that's not cut off by an outfielder that, that – hits is hit hard enough to reach or clear the outfield wall cool. and they will get You're a dead. point for that so yeah. there yeah they were trying to do some some damage barrel wall barrel wall and then a, the kind of a contact situation with score the runner from third so it's like i said those groups are competing against each other and we're going to give you know and, I, and like and here honestly sometimes i have trouble on our roster finding five guys to make up a group of slugging percentage rbi guys i may have a year where we're you know, we're really, really heavy in on-base quality of bat percentage guys, and we just don't have many of those bashers. But it usually works out pretty good for us, and and we really, I mean, we really, really like it. Players like it, and the winner of that group will get a power eight or something cool like that, one that gets to reach into the candy bag and pull out a candy bar after we get through because he won, he won that day.
1: Oh, i like that and that's that's something that again you're infusing competition into individual player development and i love that and so uh, again at the, at the time of this recording we're getting ready for the postseason so being a coach for 20 plus years what what does that process look like for you guys and, and just getting ready to peak at the right time
0: well you know one thing i think that's helped us as far as the postseason is concerned we seem to always be not always but i mean i'll mean, a lot of the time we seem to be peaking uh, during postseason play, playing our best baseball. We've kind of gotten hot and we're rolling. And I think a lot of that is, I mean, is attributed to your approach as a coach and kind of reading your team. You know, I my dad told me when I first started that uh, the most important thing you can do as a coach is to make it fun for your players, especially high school-age players. So all these competitions and, and – we just try to do neat stuff that, that players are going to enjoy. And it's not all it's not all enjoyable. It's not, you know, it's not all gonna be birthday cake and party hats. Uh, but something can be rewarding, you know, and still be fun. So we try to make everything we do, try to make it as fresh, change up what we're doing, just keep everybody fresh and, and enjoying things. That's my goal. And that helps us, I think, as opposed to coming out, we're gonna do these same six you know, stations on our hitting rotation. We're gonna do them from January through May. I think variety, uh variety and kind of reading your team and see when they need to have mix in some things with a little bit more fun, uh, to keep them keep interest high. That to me is is a really that's a big key as far as postseason play is concerned, is to have a team that's still ready to play. And not, you know, worn out mentally, physically, even if you have to give them a Wednesday off on, you know, sometime and just just kind of read them and and then get after it. The second thing I guess is that I think is really big as far as postseason success is just having a consistent approach uh, throughout the year that you don't, you know, no matter if you're playing a non-conference game in the middle of the week is I'm going to have a routine. This is how I'm going to step into the plate. This is how I'm going to do this. This is the time I'm going to walk out on the field and prepare. I mean, just being consistent to where, you know, it's those postseason at bats. Yeah, they're going to have some pressure, but trying to make it as, as you know, close to your routine as you've been following throughout the whole year just having a consistent approach like that so those those two things i think besides just the fact that you you know you kind of you gather your numbers and you gather your data and you just see it you know we have several checkpoints through the year and just see here's where we are this is what we're not very good at Mm -hmm. and just always trying to monitor and adjust and and eliminate those take those weaknesses and make them where they're not as much of a weakness by the time it you know you're playing for your life at the end of the year
1: no doubt no doubt and you know for those listening best of luck in the postseason as as we are are about to embark on that and you know i coach i i want to get your advice on uh on your first year as a head coach so you're thinking back you know 20 plus years ago and you just had taken the job at horatio and you could go back and give yourself some advice you know what would that advice be
0: You know, I I got some really good advice and I I still remembered I I don't know how I stumbled on this. It was either in you know, this one in the first two years at least I started coaching. I got a flyer, a guy named Dick Birmingham, who is a Hall of Famer that I didn't know really know who Dick Birmingham was at that time in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri was having a clinic and I just knew that there was a bass pro shops in Springfield and I had a chance to go watch I guess it was Missouri State play basketball during that clinic. So Mm I decide over Christmas break that I'm going to go to Sprint Drive to Springfield. This is not too far from us and hear Dick Birmingham speak. And man, I mean, he was, I still have, you know, I still have the legal pad um, from the very first, you know, almost 30 years now, the very first clinic I attended with him. And he was just a master, a coaching master. But one thing he said, and, you know, I still remember this as he looked at, he was on the backside of his, he maybe had actually even retired at that time. He was on the backside of his coaching career and he looked out at everybody and he said, I envy you, young guys. He said, I, I wish the time goes by so fast. I wish I was sitting where you are right now and instead of on the other side of this. So, the main piece of advice, you know, is, is basically the same thing, man. You got to enjoy the ride because you're going to blink and it's going to be, you know, you're 28 years into it mm-hmm. and you're eligible to retire like I am. So, wow. the main thing is just, Enjoy the journey because, you know, just like he said, you're going to, I mean, it's going to go fast. You're going to, like I said, blink and and you're going to be talking about it. I still can't believe that I'm actually talking about being old enough to retire. And the second thing I guess is, and I, and I can speak to that being a small school, is just to make big make big time where you are. I mean, you know, those, don't think your program is not being a big time program. If it's not big time, make it in a big time. Cause I'm you know, I, I guarantee you this little small town that, that we're in, baseball is a big deal. It's a big deal around here. And it's, it's not anything necessarily that I've done. Cause we've just had players that have embraced it. Some good players that have come along and kind of embraced the system. And we've turned it in, you know, we've turned it into a big time deal here. You know, the, the jobs, the larger school jobs, the big time jobs, they're going to, they'll come calling. But, uh, you just know, you know, you know, make big time wherever you are. That's those are two big pieces of advice I would give somebody.
1: Oh, fantastic advice! And you know, on the flip side of that, where we're thinking back first, but now let's let's look to the current moment. What's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited?
0: I guess um, the whole idea of, of variability training is kind of new to me and random practice as opposed to block practice. I've really kind of embraced that started trying to research that in the last few years or sticky coaching how that when we we turn we tend to you know as an example i mean you can cram for an exam and do pretty good that day then a couple of days later you're, you're going to forget all that mm-hmm. uh, and it's not going to be sticky to you so just the, the research i've done and trying to figure out how i can be a better coach and get better long-term results well i mean all the research modern research is saying that if you if there's some struggle there then you're going to have better it's going to be your results on the short term are not gonna be as good, but long term you're gonna have more growth. That's something that we've embraced the last few years and I've I've tried to do a better job of of learn the in, ins and outs of the problem with that or the the flip side of that is you've gotta be able to kind of monitor because the challenge can sometimes with high school kids can be too great. I mean, I could put the machine on ninety-eight. And say, "Hey, we're finna grow today," and nobody gets one out of the cage. So you got to kind of monitor and see. Try to find that balance of this is challenging. We're going to struggle a little bit. You guys have got to embrace the struggle. Just trust me. This is gonna. This is gonna be. It's gonna make us better in the long run. So that that is. I'm excited about that, and I think it's made me a better coach in the last years. Certainly was than the when I first started, and even in before that, before I learned that.
1: Oh, fantastic. And uh, again, on, on the resource question, most of our listeners are listening to this going, man, you, you've had a lot of different influences in your career. And if you had to boil down just a couple of resources for us to dig into either recently or things that have changed your coaching career, uh, where where can we look to to, uh, to get some advice from that?
0: Well, um, one thing, I, I don't know if the young guys are even aware of this, but we had, uh, you know, the legendary, I guess it's Ron Polk's baseball that's what I had to a baseball class in college when I was at UCA, and that that was our textbook. And mm-hmm. little did I know how valuable that thing was. I've still, I've actually, I've actually on my second copy of that. And if if the young guys haven't heard of that, I mean, it's literally it is a bible of how to coach baseball. It is an unbelievable resource that that I've used many times. I say that uh, I'm on my second copy. I actually, I got a chance to be a major league baseball envoy one summer in England. And uh, I actually left my my original copy, my the one I got in class at the time with one of the coaches in Plymouth, England. So I had to buy another one when I came home, but and, and I just I bought the digital version not too long ago. But that's a that's a super resource. A lot of people, the younger guys, I'm not sure if they heard of the drive line, information that drive putting out now is fantastic with the research. It's really kind of can make you question some of the long held beliefs we've had as coaches. Uh, on how things really should work i think that's a really tremendous resource we are we love base running and uh, the steelbases.com website and the information that that they have put out is tremendous all of that i mean we, we use the lesson plans that, that he puts out and, and that that's really that's been really been a big deal for us as far as our success w- with our base running and the abca is tremendous and it's just it's taken taken off by leaps and bounds the last few years that that to me is maybe my favorite resource of all with the chats they have on monday nights and just the abca clinic and i heard what i'm saying not too long ago when you talked about the abca before it meant the clinic you were going to the, the clinic and it's become so much more uh those guys are doing such a great job with the the videos that you get when you go to the national clinic the access to the videos and now the barnstormers tour and the you know, the calls from the clubhouse. And that's, I guess the last thing is, is, you know, you're, I've spent a whole lot of lunch duties listening to your podcast. Uh, and I've enjoyed those and the ABCA, the calls from the clubhouse. And just I've really, you know, even for an old guy, the, 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 some of the new stuff with the podcast and it's, it's, there's some really good information out there.
1: Fantastic. And I, I think probably, my favorite question that, that I want you to really leave us with is, and I, again, you've given us a, a tremendous amount of actionable and practical things that we can take to practice tomorrow, which I really do appreciate. But say, say we went to practice tomorrow and you wanted to give us something that your kids and our kids will absol- absolutely love. And, and again, you've shared a ton of different things for us to be able to do that. But if you showed up to practice tomorrow, and you said, "Hey guys, we're doing this today," and they would just get extremely excited. What would one or a few of those things be?
0: You know, one thing we've we haven't done this very much, but cause was, we just heard about. It. You know, uh, you had uh, Matt Cusdark on a few weeks ago, and I, either he mentioned on your podcast, I know he had it on Twitter, mm-hmm. was the the short game yeah. that he that he played. And we we did that, and it was a huge hit. I mean, it's it was so much fun. We enjoyed that. And like I said, we just found out about that earlier this year. But it, it was a—it's a great way to to end practice on a fun note. We—I really enjoyed that. One thing, one thing our kids—I've had—I've had a couple tell me one one of the things that our kids like a whole lot here is what we call validation BP. The, the bunch that I have right now—I mean, they—they they eat validation BP. Up. They love it. And the way it works is that it's another—you know—again, another point-based competition, but if you it's really pretty simple during bp if you get a hit let's say that we're in a group together with two other guys maybe there's a group of four uh you get five cuts every time you get a hit you get a point if you can validate it with by getting your bunt down okay so and it can be you can just do sack bunts you can call out the bunts say this one's going to be after they get the hit say safety squeeze or drag bunt or whatever they only get the point if they get the bunt down they validate it with with the point and if the ball reaches the wall then it ends up being double points so they can actually if they hit a ball that clears the left field wall that bunt then becomes a two-point bunt so you get a little you know it's fun uh the defense is playing hard because especially outfielders because they're trying to keep the ball off the metal wall at our place Mm -hmm. because they know that that guy's about to score if he gets his bunt down there's a lot of effort on defense and guys are trying to, you know, on the infield trying to get balls from going through for hits. Uh, so it's it's good defensively, and it also puts a little pressure on that guy now, instead of just saying, hey, two bunts and then five cuts. And he's got, now he has a little pressure on the bunt, which is more game-like. Mm-hmm. So you only get the points if you validate them, and then you'll hear some guy will hit a, you know, he'll smash one to center and hit a home run, and then foul his bunt off, and everybody <laughs> on the team will gro- groan and laugh at him and you know, so they that's that's a BP that is is pretty fun. We enjoy that a lot. Our guys enjoy that, and I tell you, one of the things that our guys enjoy a lot are on Sunday nights at eight. Is we'll turn the lights on and we'll have during the season because we play conference games on Monday, mm-hmm. so we don't practice on Sunday. But we have voluntary BP under the lights on Sunday nights at eight, and that's in asking some of our guys what they enjoy the most or what did you enjoy the most when you played. And he goes, you know what? I just love I love hanging out with everybody. Uh, just the camaraderie and and being able to hit under the lights and having a good time taking BP on Sunday night. It just takes about an hour. We can go from eight and nine, and we make it totally because it's Sunday, you know, and it's after church. We make it totally voluntary. So, and I, I'll show up. I only make the other coach, coaches show up. I'll show up and I'll throw usually for about an hour BP for about an hour, and they our guys really enjoy that. So, those are some of the things I, I would hope that I really would hope that when if you would ask. If you were to get a panel of our guys in through the years, and you would ask them, there would be a whole lot of answers of varied, varied, you know, things, different things that we have done, uh, because we try to make, for the most part, I mean, I want a lot of the stuff we do. I want kids to to love it and to enjoy it.
1: Sure, and you can definitely sound, or you can definitely tell by the sound of your voice and and just you talking about it that that's something that you're very intentional about, and so I'm I'm sure that that is definitely the case. But if uh, so, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you about man, it's I'll be honest, a, a ton of practical things you really did. You opened up, you know, a, a ton of stuff for us. But if they want to get in touch with you to ask you about any or all of these things, what would be the best way to do so?
0: Uh, email or Twitter, probably. Send me a message, either one. Email address is Lance Spigner, no spaces, just L-A-N-C-E-S-P-I-G-N-E-R at Gmail dot com. Okay. And then I'm on Twitter at, at Spigner 23,
1: at Spigner 23. Perfect. And I will link those down in the show notes as well for the listeners. And coach, you, uh, again, you, you brought it today and I really appreciate all the things that you shared with us. And, you know, I just want to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
0: Uh, I'm just, I'm thankful for the opportunity, Jonathan. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I guess the only thing I would say, you know, we've already gotten the, enjoy it because it's going to go really fast out of the way. Um, That's been on my mind a lot with me about to retire this coming. I'm filing for retirement doing that May 31st. But uh, I I just think, you know, the main thing to me is, is to have a system. It's just set your program up systematically to where, I mean, you measure things, you don't take things for granted, you know, and you just have some kind of systematic process for evaluating. Are you playing good? Are we meeting our goals? That kind of thing. We we have used um, the one pitch some of the one pitch warrior stuff with the TPI team process index. Mm-hmm. So when we and I think you can probably Google that and find that, but or how to how to get hooked up with that. But when we, we meet after a game, it kind of takes a lot of the emotion out and we say there are basically four things that can happen. We're gonna play well and win, we can play well and lose. Not a whole lot we can do about that. We're gonna play well. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to play well and win. We're going to play well and lose. And sometimes we're not going to play well and win. And then sometimes we're just going to play bad and we're going to lose. So our numbers and our our systematic process kind of tells us which one of those things uh, that we have done. And it it kind of, after the game, there's sometimes a lot of raw emotion coaching, as everybody knows. Uh, This kind of takes you away from that a little bit, where you can either that night or the next day you know, you have a, a way to evaluate what you've done and what you've not done very well, and what we need to work on. So I think uh, one, you know, big secret to success that we've had here is just kind of having a system and something that, that measures. So, and then we'll take our season and break it down into nine game sets or trimesters we call it. And after nine games, we'll evaluate our numbers, and I will, you know, work off those numbers and see what needs more attention or what are we not very good at? Maybe our quality at bad percentage uh, is pretty low or something like that. So I think that's a big deal.
1: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.